You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Southside Baptist Church, located in Florence, South Carolina. We now have two services, a classic service at 8.30 and a modern service at 11 o'clock. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. We're going to be in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we're going to be in verse 11. We'll read just here for a little bit. And it starts off saying this. It says, as Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest, which is what it says in the book of Leviticus, according to the law, that one should do if a leper was healed. So that's why Jesus is telling them, hey, go show yourself to a priest. And as they went, <clears throat> they were cleansed of their leprosy. And one of them, one of them, when they saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. If you know about the Samaritans, they were half Gentile, half Jew. And so the Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans. They were like, ah, stay away. And Jesus is making it clear in his story here that he's telling, and, um, or what we see here in Scripture, that the gospel is for everyone, that he is for everyone, that he will forgive anyone who asks. And Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to this man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we read this story and read your word, that our hearts and minds are open to your spirit to do a work in our hearts and our minds. You've called us to be people who are thankful, that show gratitude, We are not called to be people who are known for their complaining, but for people who follow Jesus. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, Thanksgiving weekend is a time that we focus on eating turkey. We end up eating too much. We end up eating our favorite pie, which... Personally, I think the best Thanksgiving pie is pecan pie, which I already lost some of you right there because I didn't call it pecan pie, and we could argue about that, but we won't. And, uh, and so I don't know what your favorite pie is, but I hope that you got a piece of it, and it was a good weekend. But Thanksgiving weekend is also known for something else in the South, not just giving thanks. Rivalry weekend. And not just in the South, but even... Up north in the Midwest and other parts of the country, it's a time when you're, you and your rival, you face off. And of course, you have some of those rivalries that probably will never die down. You have the Gamecock fans, you have the Clemson fans, you have the team up north fans, and you have Ohio State. And um, that's what we call them. Then you end up having your North Carolina State fans, right? We have a couple out here, and you beat North Carolina. And uh, we're not sure anyone cares, but we're going to give you a, we're going to throw you a bone, okay? 
And there's, there's Georgia and Georgia Tech. I don't know if that's really a rivalry anymore. But anyway, but you have those teams you want to face off, that you want to get, that you want to play. And we have fun with it. We have fun with it. There's usually one or two that probably take it too far. But, you know, um, we could really get on the Clemson fans. But they're used to winning. So, you know, it's, um, well, I got quiet real quick when I said that. But I do root for the Gamecock fans. I do. I do. It's, it's been hard to see you all get beat down. Um, but the last two weeks, you've done the beating. And so congratulations. That's wonderful. So preacher, why are you mentioning this? I want to enjoy a sermon and not hear about this. I think there's something else that I want to point us to when it comes to a rivalry. And the rivalry, I think, that we see in our own lives, in our own spirits, is something I think that we must keep on top of, that we don't stifle the Spirit of God, there's a rivalry between being thankful and complaining. And man, and they bash. And it's easy to complain. Now, we all complain. We don't like to admit that we complain, but we all complain. There's times I complain, and I'm like, why am I complaining? I shouldn't be complaining. I should be a little more thoughtful, or I should be a little more patient with this. You know, it could be when you're driving, and you're complaining about the traffic. I'm sure no one else does here ever whatsoever. Complain about the traffic. Complain about the crowds. Complain about waiting in line. Let's face it. We have something we can complain. We can complain about this coach, or that coach, or this, that, and the other. We can find something to complain about. And it's been said, I think as Teddy Roosevelt said, that um, complaining without bringing a solution to the problem is whining. So sometimes we don't like to hear that. We don't like to hear that. But it's true. It's true. And, but thankful, being thankful, is a, a, powerful, a powerful thing. It really is a powerful word to say thank you. Maybe even in a circumstance that you normally wouldn't say it or just saying thank thank you for someone opening the door for you or for doing something nice for you and and we've lost a little bit of that in our society but hey we are believers we set the standard the bar because we follow we follow Jesus he's making us more and more like him that's God's desire that's his will for us and he godly people are a thankful people and I know we can have a tendency to complain, but this morning I want us to get us refocused on just being simply this, being thankful. And there's a rivalry going on between our hearts, complaining or being thankful. So the title of this message is Thanksgiving or Complaining. There was a famous poet in um, Great Britain years ago. His name was Rudyard Kipling. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. I haven't really heard of him. But um, what was interesting, he was a pretty famous um, artist back in the day and um, writer. And a newspaper reporter came to him and said, Mr. Kipling, I just read somebody calculated and figured out that for every word that you write, it is a, each word is $100. Today would probably be the equivalent of around $1,000 a word. Could you imagine you're writing poems or whatever you write, and it comes out to be about $1,000 a word? Or the reporter said, I'm going to give you $100. Will you give me one word? And Mr. Kipling did. He said, thanks. And that was the word in which he gave. You could say it's a $1,000 word. You could say it is a million-dollar word. But we are called to be people who are thankful, who show 
thanks. So thanksgiving or complaining, these words express two contrasting attitudes found in God's children in regards to his dealings with them. The soul that gives thanks can find comfort in everything. The soul that complains can find comfort in nothing. Complaining does seem to be at times a popular pastime. And we can get around other people. And, and you ever noticed, and I've noticed this, that complaining, someone who complains a lot, they tend to be very contagious. Complaining is contagious. But as well, I believe that being thankful, being spirit-filled as believers is also contagious. And we can find something always to complain about. It could be about teachers. It could be about traffic. It could be about taxes. It could be our troubles, our job, and so on. I, I've heard a story once about a man who had, um, had, was always complaining, constantly complaining. I mean, it just kind of wears on you after a while. Complain, 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 complain. But he inherited a large sum of money, but it wasn't as much as what he thought it would be. But it was enough for him to buy a farm. So he bought a farm. And he's contemplating, what am I going to name my farm? So he's thinking about this name, that name. Finally, he asked his wife, honey, what do you think I should name my farm? And he'd been complaining this entire time about not receiving the money he thought he should have received, how much taxes were taken out, and the government this, the government that. And she's like, you know what? I think you should name it Belly Acres. (laughs) The Greek word translated complainer means literally one who was discontent with his lot in life. It is a word that's related, I guess you could say, akin to grumbler. Complaining is certainly not a fruit of the Spirit. In fact, it is detrimental to our peace, joy, and patience that the Spirit of God gives. And for a Christian, complaining is destructive, and, and, um, and uh, it only serves to make our witness more difficult. And... If you think about it, it makes sense that we as believers, we as Christians, if we're always complaining and people around us know that we're a Christian, if it's in the workplace, if it's at home or our children, and we're always complaining about, always complaining about that, who in their right mind is going to go, you know what? I want what he or she has. I want to be a Christian because of how much they complain. Nobody. Nobody who sees somebody who claims to know Christ, that claims to have met somebody that changed their life, that claim that, that gives them joy, that gives them peace, that gives them love, but all they do is complain, goes, I want some of that. And it hurts our witness. It hurts our witness. And so, even though it may be common, it does not make it right. The Word of God comes down pretty hard on the sin of complaining. Somebody once said that on the seventh day, God rested. On the eighth day, he started answering complaints. Who was the first complainer? Well, I hate to say it, guys, but it was us. It was the male. It was Adam. He said, he said to God, the woman you gave me, or in the King James, the woman thou hast gave me. He blamed his wife from the get-go, complaining to God. So here's a problem with complaining, and we're going to get to Thanksgiving, all right? We'll get to Thanksgiving. See, complaining denies, it denies God's sovereignty. It denies his sovereignty. God is always in 
control. And as believers, that should give us peace. Knowing that God is sovereign, knowing that he is good, knowing that he is always in control, and that he will take, that nothing catches him by surprise. Nothing catches him by surprise. I'm going to ask real quick, if we can get the sermon lights on, we still have the worship lights on in the crowd. If we can get the sermon lights on, that'd be awesome. Thank you. And so, and while it's not wrong to complain to God, okay, nothing wrong with that. God knows what aggravates you. He knows what is going on in your life. Um, it's okay to complain to God, but this is, this is where we end up running to an issue. When we complain about God, it denies his sovereignty. It shows a lack of faith. Uh, Albert Einstein said, a problem with, without a solution is poorly stated. You see, we either look at our problems as an opportunity to complain or an opportunity to grow. And there will be times in our lives that we'll have adversity come and we must decide, what are we going to do with this adversity? Sometimes God allows adversity to come into our lives because he wants to get us out of our comfort zone. Sometimes he allows adversity into our life to work on a character issue that we have in our life. Sometimes he allows adversity to come into our lives, not because he's mean, not because we did anything wrong, because he's pushing us to grow, to help us become more like Jesus. And we don't like to say it. We don't always like to thank it. But when you read the Bible, the Bible is very clear. Even Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, there may be times in which you suffer. Now, you can complain in your suffering, or you can give God glory in the midst of your suffering. Our tendency, the flesh, just wants to complain. It wants to go, oh, what was me? It wants to blame other people. It wants to point at everybody else. But what it does, it denies the sovereignty of God. It really does. I want you to notice with me, I'm going to turn just a little bit. We'll keep our finger here in Luke um, 17. We'll come back to it. But over in Numbers, in Numbers chapter 12, in Numbers chapter 12, we, um, we read about a story about Moses. Now, there's a couple of different stories in here that are very, very interesting from Numbers 12 to Numbers chapter 16. But we're going to look at 12 here real quick. And we see where Aaron's sister and brother complain about him. And it says, while they were at um, Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses in verse 1 because he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? Which the Lord had. But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble. More humble than any other person on earth. To be humble like this means to be meek. And meekness is strength under control. And so immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. And so the three of them went to the tabernacle, and the Lord descended in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. And Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. And the Lord said to them, now listen to what I have to say. I mean, this kind of reminds me of being a kid, and your father says, I want all of his children, I want you to come out here and stand before me. And you know, you know some punishment is getting ready to happen. 
you know you're not going to like this conversation. And it's like God said, Moses, Aaron, Miriam, you, you guys come on out here. I, I want you to stand right here. I'm going to talk to you here for a second. I want to make some things very, very clear uh, to you. And this is what he says. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. And I would speak to them in dreams. But not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. And so why are you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? And the Lord was very angry with him and he departed. And as the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from leprosy. And when Aaron saw what had happened to her, he cried out to Moses, Oh, my master, please don't punish us for this sin. We have so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, God, I beg you, please heal her. And the Lord did. He healed her. Moses and Miriam were really missing out on all that the Lord had for them. And they criticized Moses. And why are they criticizing Moses? They were criticizing about who he married, but it they really weren't getting to the root of the issue. The root of the issue was envy and it was pride. And complaining about his new wife was just kind of a smokescreen for them to complain about or to attack Moses' character. And he hadn't done anything wrong. And, um, and so there's times in which in our lives we may be criticizing someone in their character when, when we're in reality we have an issue within of ourselves. Sometimes it's envy. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's jealousy. Sometimes it's a a will of wanting power because we don't feel like we're empowered, and so on. Now, we're not going to read this story, but if you go to Numbers chapter 16, there's another story about a man named Korah. Now, now this man, Korah, he was a priest, he was among the priesthood. And there's a group of them that decided they're going to complain against Moses once again. They're complaining about Moses. They're complaining about his leadership. They're accusing him of, of taking things from them. And they're talking about how great it was back in Egypt. Man, we had food. We had this back in Egypt. Yeah, you were slaves back in Egypt. And God delivered you out. And it wasn't his will for you. But they were complaining and complaining and complaining. And if you know the whole story about Moses and his leadership for 40 years, there was came a time where God's like, I'm done with this generation. You all are not going to see the promised land. Your children will see it, but only Joshua and Caleb, who are part of you, who happened to be the two, two of the 12 spies who went into the promised land and said, let's go in and trust God. And the other 10 were like, nah, this is a bad deal. Let's not trust God on this and move forward. But that's what happened. And, um, man, God was angry. In fact, God's like, Moses, you and Aaron, get out of the way. I'm going to kill them. And Moses, they, they get Aaron, Aaron get on their knees and they beg God, God, don't kill them. Don't do that to them. And uh, he doesn't for a moment, but they keep on complaining. And eventually, you know what God does with that 250? He opens up the ground and they fall into the ground alive. Whew. Not just them, but all their household, every bit of them, and the ground closes back up. And God's like, I'm done with you. God had enough. He had enough. 
And so if you wonder, does God care about what we say? Does he care if we have a heart of thanksgiving or a heart of just complaining all the time? He does. And he sees it. And he knows about it. And so when we're always complaining and we try to break down everything, man, let me tell you, you're going to find something always to complain about. In every church, if you find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll mess it up. Every one of us. No church is perfect. But we do have a perfect Savior. And we should always be asking, how can I make my church better? How can I be a blessing? But if you're always complaining about God's church, about his bride, what does that say about you? Now, if there's a problem, that's a different story. You see, leaders and people of God, when they see a problem, they don't just complain about it. They go, how can we find a solution to the problem? How can we pray about this? What are some different ideas? And leaders talk about it together, not behind one's back, but in a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of correction, a spirit of wanting to do what is right always for the church. And that's the spirit. Now, this is Thanksgiving is not choosing to ignore problems. There are some families who have these problems and they never talk about it, right? They have these problems and it, it festers and it builds up. And maybe you come from that kind of family. And he's like, oh, if we just ignore it, it'll go away. I don't think that's a, a good answer either. In God's family, in his church, you try to solve those problems with a gentle and loving spirit, and you try to push forward. But just complaining about it, man, it denies God's sovereignty. He's in control. We are not. And here's the wonderful thing, is that as believers, when we complain, and like I said at the beginning of this sermon, we all have times we complain. It doesn't make it right. Well, what should we do? What should we do? Like, man, preacher, this, this sermon's kind of hitting me like right in the middle of the forehead, like right in the middle of the, my heart. Like I complain a lot and I really hadn't thought much about it. And what should you do? Well, I'm, here's the wonderful thing is that if we confess our sins, he forgives us. He restores us. And that's a promise from scripture. So we have a God who's not going to just cast us off because we complain and, um, um, I don't I don't think that God's going to open the earth up and swallow you up. I mean, you really got to get complaining then, I guess. And, but we see that, man, God takes it complaining serious. Why? Because just as in the book of Numbers, as Moses said, complaining is contagious. It's contagious. And it breeds discontentment. And uh, discontent, uh, a, a, a spirit of, of um, discontentment in, in a church. And so... This is the second thing we see. Complaining, it disrupts Christian unity. This is what it says in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through uh, 16. It says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then... Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. And so, church, we are called to do everything that we do without complaining, without arguing. And 
And so, why? Because the world is watching how we live our lives. If we're always complaining and arguing in our neighborhood, if we're always complaining and arguing at the workplace about things maybe that don't really matter, if we're always arguing and complaining, and the world, and this, this is the point Paul is making, if the world sees that we're always arguing and complaining, man, they can easily criticize us in return. So what should we do? Well, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. And shine. Let Jesus be known in your lives to other people. And so, Christian, none of us are perfect. Not a one of us. But we are called to pursue holiness. We are called to pursue and grow in our our walk with the Lord. To become more and more like him. So to live clean. To live clean. So we must ask ourselves, am I living a clean life? Life that Jesus would be proud of. And maybe right now you're like, I'm still holding on to this or I'm holding on to that. Or I still say these things that I know I shouldn't be saying. Well, let me ask you, um, let the Holy Spirit do a work this morning. Will you let the Holy Spirit, maybe you need to ask the Lord, what are some things that are in my life that are causing me not to live a clean life like you'd want me to live? Just ask him. And if you're uncertain, ask someone that really loves you. If you men, men, you can ask your wife. Ladies, you might ask your husband. You might ask a best friend. And, and, that, and that gets a little uncomfortable. Maybe so, but sometimes it's okay to be a little uncomfortable. We know someone who loves us, who wants to help us, but the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, we you normally know. When we let the Holy Spirit shine his flashlight in our hearts to help us. But it can disrupt Christian unity. And see, when we don't have unity, we don't have fellowship in church. And when we don't have fellowship in church, um, we don't have this, we're not going in the same direction. What is fellowship? Fellowship is like two people being on the same ship, getting along and getting to know one another. They're on the same ship, headed in the same direction. Fellowship means we're headed in the same direction. And when you don't have fellowship in church, you really can't have the kind of church that God desires and what he wants. This is also what complaining does. It discredits Christian testimony. See, complainers are this. They are missionaries of misery. Think about it. They are missionaries of misery. And no one wants to be miserable. And I know we've heard it said before, like misery loves company. But man, there's some truth to that statement. Complaining is destructive. And um, it, it, it can really tear a church down. Maybe you've heard of someone called a um, uh, curmudgeon. Uh, some have nickname that there sometimes there are church curmudgeons. In other words, someone who is bad-tempered, always complaining, you know, never smile. They're kind of like that old meme, like, you know, they, of, of someone not smiling. And it says, I smiled once. It was terrible, you know. Like, there are some people who look that way. They're like, man, just smile. It, loosen up a little bit. God is good. He has saved us from our sin. Like, this world is not our home. Like, man, we are called to be joy Full people, God, fill us with your joy. Fill us with your spirit. And when we're following him, man, he takes care of some of these problems that we have. So what's the benefit of being thankful? Enough focusing on this subject of complaining. 
the benefit of being thankful. Being thankful, it builds your faith. People of faith are thankful people. Back to the story of Jesus and these lepers. And, and so he heals 10 of them. And out of the 10, only one comes back and thanks Jesus. Man. And it even seems that Jesus is a little bit, I, I think, heartbroken a little bit. And notice what he says. He says in verse 17, Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And the Jewish people who were hearing this, like, man, the Jewish people, is what he's pointing out, like the religious ones, the ones who knew all the right answers, the ones who knew the Old Testament, they didn't come back and thank me? But this one who was a Samaritan, this one who was a foreigner, came back. And thanked him. And Jesus said, stand up and go. Your faith, your faith has healed you. Hmm. Sometimes, sometimes, is a passage I'll turn to at times when one says, if you just have enough faith, God will heal you. Well, he always promises his healing. Sometimes that healing is experienced in, in heaven. And um, which... Those who are believers, one day we'll get a new body, no more pain, no more hurt. But God doesn't always heal everybody just due to their faith alone. If that was the case, then the Apostle Paul would have been healed many times over, and the Apostle Paul would have healed many who were sick on all of his journeys. So even Paul, at times, even healed. But that's another subject for another time. But the benefits of being thankful, being thankful builds your faith. And it seems that Jesus is astonished and just kind of a little bit hurt when he says, where are the other nine? Why aren't they here? Why aren't they come back to give thanks? And that's exactly what this one man who was healed, he just wanted to come back and give thanks to Jesus and say, thank you. When's the last time in prayer or maybe even journaling, you just took some time just to thank God. And part of prayer is asking God, no question. Part of prayer is praising God. But maybe just kind of really thinking through of what you're really thankful for. And when you do that, it really reminds you of God's faithfulness. It reminds you of his goodness. It reminds you of his sovereignty. It reminds you, it reminds you who God really is. It reminds you how much he loves you, how much he really cares for you, and the promises in which he's given to us. And there's so much, if you really think about it, that you can be thankful for. But sometimes in our lives we get so busy we end up being more like the nine who run off and appreciate the goodness, appreciate the healing, appreciate what he did. Thank you for the salvation. I'm going to go do my own thing. But God didn't save us for that. He saved us to follow him. And to follow him means to live for him. 
To follow him means that you're no longer in charge, that he's in charge, and I'm going to obey Jesus. He is the new boss. He, he's the one I'm going to follow. It's no longer about what I think. It's about what he thinks. It's about no longer what I want, but about what he wants. He gives the direction. He gives the orders. That's what it means to really follow the Lord. And we should be thankful. And it should build your faith. Psalms 92.1 says, It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name. Psalms 104 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Ephesians 5.20 says, And give thanks for everything to God, the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being thankful will also do this. Being thankful will keep you in God's will. Notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 16. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. So notice this. Being joyful. Don't stop praying. Being being thankful. This is God's will for you. And this is God's will who belong to Christ Jesus. And notice this. If you're not those things... If you're not joyful, that means you're not being filled by the Spirit. If you're not praying, if you're not being thankful in whatever circumstance you're in, even if you are in a situation that's very, very tough, this is God's will for you. And when we're not, you know what it does? It can stifle, it can hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our situations, and we may just stay in the situation we are in because we have stifled, we have hindered the Holy Spirit. So do not scoff at the prophecies, but test everything that is said. How? By his word. Hold to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. So we are called to be thankful, and it will help you and keep you in God's word. It seems we live in a day which evil Evil has decided not to even hide any longer. And that's the world that we live in. Now, as Christians, we can't always help what goes on around us. We can't help if the birds fly above our heads. But we can help if they make a nest on it. As Christians, we're like a boat in the middle of the ocean, middle of the world. The issue is not the water that's around us. The issue is when the water gets in the boat, then we have a problem. And God's word is saying there's some things as Christians you should stay away from. There's things we should stay away from. And we could do a whole probably message or two on stay away from every kind of evil. There's a lot of evil out there. But ultimately, when we are seeking the Lord, we're seeking to be filled by the Spirit, and we are praying, and we're thankful in whatever situation we're in, whether in our lives, in our time with the Lord, whether it feels like, uh, man, we're in the, the spring of things, we're in the summer of our relationship with the Lord, or in the fall, or it feels like we're in the winter, or like we're in the middle of a desert. In every circumstance, you can find joy. The joy that comes from the Lord is supernatural. It comes from the Spirit. And never stop praying. And you can be thankful in whatever circumstance you're in. You see, joy-filled people are thankful people. I don't think I've ever met someone who was thankful who wasn't also joy-filled or a joy-filled person who wasn't thankful. That's the secret, I believe, of 
being thankful, of letting the Holy Spirit grow these fruits of the Spirit in our lives that we can experience. Enjoy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And maybe we don't always understand what God is doing in our lives. We don't always understand what he's up to and may make us scratch our heads a little bit, but we can trust him in every circumstance. We can look to him in every circumstance. And when we don't understand his plan and when we can't trace his hand, we can always trust his heart. So we please God by obeying God. And those who obey God are joyful. Turn with me over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Just want to read us a quick passage here. John 15 and uh, verse, uh, verse 9. <clears throat> this is what it reads. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. But when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. And just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I have commanded. And I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confine in his slaves. Now you are my friends, and since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my command. Love, love each other. So God, we please God by loving God, by loving others. We please God by being grateful. And those who are grateful are joyful. And those who are loving are joyful. Those who obey the Lord, they are joyful. And one of the great barriers to gratitude and the joy is comparison. And maybe in your life, if you want to suck the joy right out of your life, if you want to suck the joy right out of your family, hey, if you want to suck the joy right out of your church, just simply compare your life to everybody else. Compare your blessings to everybody else. Compare your blessings and how God has blessed you to your neighbor, to your coworker, to those at church. Comparison is a th- thief of joy. So instead of comparison, look to the Lord and let him do a work. Here's number three. You'll have an attitude of gratitude. You have an attitude of gratitude. Paul was heavily persecuted, and this is what he wrote. He said, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal possession uh, possession in Christ. And through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. It really stood out to me, fragrance. If women wear perfume, if men wear cologne, It seems that Christians should give off the life-giving fragrance of the joy and the love of Jesus Christ. And I believe we do that through our thanksgiving. So will we focus on complaining or having thanksgiving? It's hard to 
It's hard to envy someone you don't compare yourself with. Comparison is simply an invitation to envy and to let it steal, steal your joy. Today, maybe you've lost your joy. I want you to know you can regain it. In fact, the word rejoice means to find or rediscover your joy again. And you can find just that. Maybe you're watching or you're new here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior. In fact, this lasting joy that we speak of, the Holy Spirit in which we speak of, maybe he's a little bit foreign to you. But I want you to know there's a God who loves you, who came and dwelt among us, and the Word became flesh. Why? Because he loves you. Because someone needed to be the sacrifice and not just any sacrifice would do. And Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice. He willingly went to the cross having never sinned. Having never done anything wrong, he went to the cross and died for our sins. So that we could be made right with God. Anyone who would repent of their sins, anyone who would put their belief and trust in Jesus, He will save. He will change. He'll change you. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't like who you are. You don't like yourself. I want you to know there's a God who loves you who wants to change you. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian, but you live so much in the flesh. The idea of living a clean life for Jesus is foreign to you. My friend, it's time to turn around. It's time to get on the right path. It's time to let the Holy Spirit steer you in the direction in which he is leading. And as we close our eyes and we go into attitude of prayer, I want to give you a moment. I want to give you a time of prayer. So, Pastor Lucas, I'd like to give my life to Christ. I'm not a Christian, but I want to become one. I would like to repent of my sins. I'm choosing to put my faith and belief in Jesus this morning. God's dealing with me. That's you. That's you. Will you pray with me? Pray, dear God. I come before you to repent of my sins, to repent of my ways. I'm putting my belief and trust in Jesus Christ this morning. Forgive me. Jesus, save me. If you prayed that this morning, I just want to rejoice with you. If you're watching, message us. If you're here, we you raise your hand high in the air and say, Pastor Lucas, I prayed that prayer and I'm giving my life to Jesus this morning. I want to follow him. I'm done trying to do things my own way, my own life. I've made a mess. It's time for me, me to get on the right path. Pastor Lucas, I'm saved, but 
I realize it's time for me to focus on God's goodness instead of always complaining. And it's a struggle for me. But I know that through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's doing a work in my life. Pray for me, Pastor. You raise your hand. Show it to God. Raise your hand high and say, Pastor, uh, say, Lord, this is me. I'm struggling with this right now. I see that hand. Anyone else say, that man, I am struggling. Amen. God sees it. Lord, I pray that you'll fill us with your spirit. God, you know our struggles. You know what we're going through. So I pray today we will choose to give thanks. We will choose not to feed the flesh with our complaining. We will choose to focus on your goodness and grace. We love you. We praise you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. If you're new, I'd love to meet you out in the foyer. God bless you all. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening.